0: Father in heaven, we commit to you this moment, O Lord, this very precious part of this service, Lord, that we dedicate to you. Help us, Lord, to listen attentively, focus our attention, Lord, on the preaching of your word. May you hide me behind your cross. May people see the essence of Christ, his word. And as you teach us, O Lord, help us, Lord, to apply what you're going to learn this morning. Give us the joy, of meditating on your word. And help us, Lord, to live a life that is bearing fruit, a life that is always yearning to prepare other people for their next stage in life. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. When you were growing up, think about this. Who influenced you that much? Some of you, probably many of you would say, my parents. And definitely our parents have been great influences to our life. I remember when I was still in my elementary school days back in the Philippines, my mother taught me how to cook, you know, the native Filipino dishes. And that became a great help to me because when I grew up, I know how to cook my food. Especially, I love eating. I love eating, especially native Filipino dishes. And if I don't know how to eat, what, I, what am I going to do? I just go to fast food restaurants and some other restaurants to get my food. But now that I know how to cook my own food because of my parents, then that will help me to live a good life. Not only cooking. When I was in the elementary school, I had difficulties in my, one of my subjects, especially mathematics. You know, math is so hard. But my father, he did, he did not finish college because he went to work right away after some time, but he taught me what math all about. And then when I grew up, when he came to high school and so on, I learned so much about math, and I'm good at it with math. How about driving a car? Did anybody teach you how to drive a car? Of course. Either your parents or some instructors. So the, my point is that each one of us has been mentored by someone else. We did not just learn those things by ourselves. It's either someone guided us through the steps of whatever skill that we need so that we can be experts in those fields. The same with the word of God. Sometimes it's hard for us to study and meditate on the word of God and especially to teach it to people. Someone mentored us, someone discipled us. I remember back in the Philippines, when I was a new believer, all the pastors in our church in Manila gathered around me, and they prayed for me and they discipled me. And they, I was involved in the discipleship program in our church. And that helped me to, have, to develop the love, of God, the love of God's word, and to teach it also to other people. And the same with all of you also, that's why I am here, that's why we, are, we have some leaders here, male leaders in our congregation and some uh, women here who are skilled in teaching the Bible. We, we want to pass on our skills and our disciplines, our habits, to all of us, especially nowadays. If you open your te- watch television, uh, watching the Internet. Look at all those current current events and all the teachings even from the, from the internet. that You might be swayed from the true teachings of the word of God. And if you don't know the word of God, the Bible says you can be easily swayed by different waves of doctrine. And that's what's happening to the next generation right now. Majority of the next generation, even in the Christian church, are no longer in church. They are in the world. They're so happy in the world. And because they are in the world, all of their characteristics, all of their uh, way of living is very much like the world already. And parents are so sad. And especially God himself is so sad right now because of what's happening to his people. So the call of God for all of us in this chapter, in Numbers 27, is to, for our, all of us to mentor and disciple those who come after you, those who are in the next generation. The young people like Bella, Christine, Ryan, Linnea here, David, even uh, G, even Lorenzo and Fletcher. We need to pray for them and also teach them as much as we can about the word of God. So the question that we're going to answer this morning is, how can we mentor those who are coming after us? Those who are in the next generation. What are the three things that Moses and God tell us in this passage? So let's take a look at Numbers chapter 27. Let's look at verses 12 to 17 first. Numbers chapter uh, 27, 12 to 17. Verse 12 says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Get thee up into this Mount Abarim and see the land which I have given unto the children of Israel. So Mount Abarim is the mountain very close to the land of Canaan. At the peak of that mountain, Moses can see that faraway land, the land flowing with milk and honey, the land promised by God for his people to dwell in. And that land of Canaan is the present Israel. Although, of course, the land of Canaan during that time was much bigger than the current Israel. But we know, the Bible tells us, that all the surrounding nations around Israel will be taken back by God and given back to the people of Israel. So those people around Israel right now who are claiming that even some parts of Israel should be theirs, God will take even their portion and give that back to Israel because that belongs to Israel as promised by God. So Moses is going to overlook the land of Canaan. But in verse 13, God says, When thou hast seen it, thou also shalt be gathered unto thy people as Aaron thy brother was gathered. You know, God has his own way of saying, You're going to die in a beautiful manner instead of saying you're going to die you'll be gathered unto the people because during the time when you pass away especially Moses a great leader of Israel people will be gathered around him and mourn for him for his death so Moses at this point in time as I've said is about 120 years old he saw the land of Canaan, but he's not going to enter the promised land why? Verse 14 tells us, For you rebelled against my commandment in the desert of Zin, in the strife of the congregation to sanctify me at the water before their eyes. That is the water of Meribah in Kadesh, in the wilderness of Zin. What happened in that story? At that point in time, in the book of Numbers, in, it is in, it's in chapter 20. You don't need to turn to that. Numbers chapter 20, verses 2 to 13. The people of God was asking and complaining to God, Where's the water? So God told Moses, You speak to the rock and water will flow out of the rock. But Moses did not speak to the rock. What did he do? He strike it. He strike it. Water still came out, but God was angry with Moses. And people would say, God, why would you be angry with Moses? The water came flowing from the rock. But remember, God said, speak, not strike the rock. You know, my brethren, when God tells you, do this and do that, he wants you to do that in his own way, and his own timing. When he says, speak, he means it. You ought to speak. When he says strike, then you strike. And you don't do another thing. When he tells you to speak, he doesn't want you to strike it, And that's what God Moses do. And people will say, it's so um, strict. God's so strict with his instructions. Why did he not give him a pass? Let him go. It's just a minor thing. But remember, Moses was the great leader of Israel. If he did not do the commandments of God to the letter, to the complete detail, what would the people of Israel say? Our great leader can take a pass from the Lord. So we can just ignore some commandments of the Lord. As long as the end is attained, as long as the goal is there. Well, the water came flowing. It doesn't matter how you do it, but with God, it's important how you do it. For God, the philosophy that says the end justifies the means. You know that saying, the end justifies the means? That means no matter what you do, whatever manner you do it, what kind of way you approach it, as long as the goal is the same or the result is the same, it's okay. One example. If you are a young person here you have a boyfriend or girlfriend who is non-Christian and then says I love this person so much he is my one or she is my one he or she is my soulmate I will marry this person even though the person is not Christian but the Bible tells us do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers because there's no communion, there's no fellowship between a believer and unbeliever. There's no fellowship between Christ and Belial, the devil. But then he said, no, when we get married, I know that I'm going to share Jesus Christ to this person and he or she will become a Christian. The end is good, but the means is not right before the Lord. Because the means according to the Lord God, is follow the Bible. Follow the Word of God. That person committed a grave sin before the Lord. And people might say, well, oh, that's so strict. Why, why, why do you need to carry out that kind of principle or instruction? That's important. That's important. Because if God says it's in His Word, He means it. And we ought to follow it. Moses ignored that. And you know why he ignored the speaking of God, and instead he strike the rock, because he was angry at the people, so again, he was angry, he was impulsive during that time, and he forgot, because all throughout the life of Moses he 's been always following the instruction of God, but at this point in time he was so angry at the people, because can you imagine two million people for forty years? Constantly, every day, every moment of your life as a leader, they are always complaining. And one time they tell you, we would like to appoint another leader. Go away from us. We want to appoint a leader that will lead us back to Egypt. And if you are in the shoes of Moses, perhaps you will be angry too. And because of that anger, he forgot that God wants him to follow his commandments to the detail. To the little dot, to the little commas and periods of the Word of God. Nevertheless, we see in verse 15 here Moses spake unto the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation. This is what I like with Moses. Moses did not complain to the Lord God, please give me a pass. I'm, I'm your leader. You have chosen me to, the, to be the deliverer of your people from Egypt. Won't you let me just probably just see the land, approach it, just enter it, and then I'll die. But he never complained. God says, no, there's no deal with this. You committed a sin before me, and that is a public sin before, before the people of Israel. You are not allowed to enter the promised land. Moses did not complain, but instead he said, Okay, Lord, I I accept the reality. I accept the consequence of my sin, but now would you appoint another leader to guide your people? And in verse 17, he says, Which may go out before them, which may go in before them, and which may lead them out, and which may bring them in. He's talking about the battles. He knows that the people of God will encounter battles, just as we encounter battles. When we encounter battles, we need someone to lead us. You cannot go into the battle just by yourself. You need someone to take the lead so that you can follow that person. So they need that person. If Moses dies, who's going to take the lead for God's people, especially in the battles? And remember, when they enter the land of Canaan, they're going to war against the giants, against the Goliaths in Canaan. And remember, the people of Israel, they're not skilled in the battle. Their only weapon for the battle is the Lord God. They don't have weapons. Nothing else but God. But we know that even though we are in a battle every day, even if we are not skilled in the battle, even if we are sometimes feeling alone in the battle, who is with us all throughout the time? The Lord God is always with us. Even if only God is with us, we can claim the victory. The victory in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see here also in 12 to 17 that Moses did not only complain, but he also appointed another, he wanted God to appoint another person to lead his people. And when God told him that you're going to be gathered to to my people, that means you're going to die, that reminds Moses of the shortness of life. And he addressed that in Psalm 90, verse 12. Let's turn to Psalm 90, verse 12. And this should be a sobering reminder to all of us, God's people. Whether you're still a young person or an older one, remember this very important message. This is the only psalm written by the prophet Moses. Psalm chapter 90, verse 12. Psalm 90, verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Why should we number our days? Because our days are very short. We'll never know when we're going to pass on from this world. We may die tomorrow. We may die next year. Even the healthiest person in this world can die suddenly. You'll never know when you're going to face your maker. So what are we going to do? Because we don't know when we're going to die. It could be today, it could be tomorrow, it could be next year. What should we do? We need to number our days and apply our hearts unto wisdom. What does that mean? That means we make a wise living we live a lifestyle that is pleasing unto the lord you make your everyday count for the lord so don't say i'm going to serve the lord next year because i i don't think i'm going to die very very soon while we are waiting for the second coming of christ god wants us to work 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 in his kingdom you don't need to wait for your deathbed to come when you're dying to serve him while you are here right now you still have that strength and energy serve the lord use the gifts that, you, that he has given you give of singing give of teaching give of helping other people start using them because god wants to for, for all of us to invest our talents for his kingdom make it bear fruit I don't want you, and God doesn't want you to just stay there sitting on those chairs. After the service, he wants you to continue to serve him through this church and also through the community that you live in. He wants you to reach out to the lost people in this world. Number your days. Apply your hearts unto wisdom. Because your life is so short. Also, we can see back in Numbers chapter 27, we see here the, uh, the heart of Moses. It's not only that he wanted a leader over his people, but he shows his willingness to care and to love his own people. Because he says in verse 17, which may go out before them. And the last part of 17 says, which may bring them in that the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep which have no shepherd. I remember in the New Testament, there's someone else who said this phrase, a sheep with with no shepherd. You know, you remember that? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He said he has compassion over his people because he sees his people as hurting, helpless. They are like sheep with no shepherd. The people in our community here in Richmond or in Ontario or in Hong Kong or wherever you live, there are sheep that has no shepherd. They need a shepherd, and that shepherd is the great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. And how they will have, how can they have that shepherd if they didn't even know that they need a shepherd? We God's people are aware. We understand that the only shepherd is Jesus Christ. We're the only ones who can tell them that you are lost. And we need to tell them that you need a shepherd, and that shepherd is the Lord Jesus Christ. One more thing before we go on to the next um, point here. We see here that even though Moses knew that it could be Joshua who could be the next leader of Israel. Because Joshua, remember, in the early part of the book of Numbers, he was leading the battles of of, um, Israel all throughout, especially the battle with the Amalekites. And he knows that Joshua might have been the next leader because he's the most qualified, he's good in battle and everything else and so on. But he did not tell God. He did not say... Lord God, we need a new leader, and I want you to appoint Joshua. He did not say that. He said, appoint a man, set a man over the congregation. The same with all of us. We do not tell God or dictate to God what we want. We seek his own will in our life. And as we prepare the next generation... We don't, tell, we, don't, we don't tell God, God, can you appoint this person to mentor my child? Can you appoint pastor to mentor my, my young boy? And so on and so forth. Let God do that. If God wants you yourself, and of course, we know that we parents should be the first mentors of our children. We are the ones who should prepare them for the next generation because we spend the most time with them. The problem is that we give this responsibility to to our teachers in school or even to the pastors or Sunday school teachers while we should have the responsibility at home to mentor and to prepare the next generation. So seek God's direction. That's the first thing that we need to do as mentors. Or the next generation. Seek his direction. Pray. Call out to him. Let him know that you want someone or probably yourself to prepare the next generation. Seek God's direction. Secondly, in verse 18 to 20, God wants us also to empower the one that we are mentoring. Empower. So look at verse 18 to 20. The Lord said unto Moses, Take thee Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit, and lay thine hand upon him. So Moses did not dictate unto God, but the Lord was the one who told Moses. The next leader of Israel would be Joshua, the son of Nun. Of course, many people make jokes upon this. There's a person, there's one only person in the Bible who has no father, and that is Joshua. Because he's the son of none, but nevertheless, God tells us here through Moses that Joshua is qualified, a man in whom is the spirit, the spirit of God is in him. That means he's filled with the spirit, is able to continue the leadership of Moses towards the people of God. And then verse 19, he said, Send him before Eliezer, the priest, and before all the congregation, and give him a charge in their sight. But before that, he says, Lay thine hand upon him. This is where we get, remember when we are commissioning the deacons or even the newly ordained pastors, we lay hands of them. People thought that when we lay hands on these people, we are passing on some magical powers to these um, leaders. no. We're not passing on the, lead, the, the magical powers. We don't have magical powers. The power only belongs to God. But what we're doing is that we are telling the congregation and to God publicly that we are conferring these people the authority that comes from God, that we are passing on our authority to the next generation of leaders. And for that matter, we pray for them. Because many um, faith healers right now, perhaps we should call them fake healers, they will lay hands of people, and then I'll lay hands on you in the name of Jesus Christ, and you will stand up and walk and run and so on and so forth, although you were lame in the past. That's not how it goes. The laying of hands is for the commissioning of God's people for the next generation. Now, in verse 20, it says here, Thou shalt put some of thine honor upon him that all the congregation the children of Israel may be obedient. So what do we see here? God told Moses to pass on some of his honor, that means his power and authority. And how do we go about that, especially as God's people? Moses did that by spending time with Joshua. Spending time with Joshua. He passed on not only his honor and authority, but all his skills. Some of his character probably, and perhaps he taught Joshua how to have that God and me time with with, with the word of God. So he discipled uh, Joshua. Moses discipled Joshua all throughout their time in the wilderness. Imagine 40 years. That will be a long time of discipling the next generation of leaders. I don't know how much time we have to prepare the next generation in our congregation, but make use of the time, make use of every opportunity. Don't dilly die, don't procrastinate. Don't say, I'm going to mentor this next generation of people next year. I don't have time right now. I have some other business to take care of. No, as long as you know that there should be a next generation of leaders, start mentoring them right here, right now. Spend time with them. It's not just about teaching the Bible, but it's all about developing a relationship with those people. I told you last week, I started to mentor this younger pastor. And it brings me great joy that even though I have only 10 years pastoral experience here, I'm able to communicate some of my struggles also to him and some of the victories that God has given me. And he was encouraged. The same with you. You sacrifice your time and your effort. It will cost you much in order to reach out to that person that you're mentoring. But it will be worth it. Because first and foremost, God is honored. Secondly, you'll have that joy. And that other person that you're mentoring will become more mature. Remember, our definition of mentoring is about investing others by helping them develop or grow in their spiritual walk. Investing. You spend some time. It will cost you. Some of your... Quality time, probably with your family or with your own self. But if God wants you to mentor another person in your own sphere of people, then do it because that will be worth it. That will be worthwhile. Allow the person you are discipling to spend time with you. And you spend time with them. Because they will learn a lot from your experiences, especially with your walk with the Lord. And if you are going to mentor another person, a lady or a younger uh, guy in a congregation, always start with the Word of God. Don't forget, Word of God and prayer are so important as part of our disciplines as Christians. Lastly, number three, in verses 21 to 23, we do not only seek God's direction, empower the one that we mentor, but we also publicly affirm those people that we mentor. Verses 21 to 23, He shall stand before Eleazar, the priest, who shall ask counsel for him after the judgment of Urim before the Lord. So God told Moses there will be a public declaration that Joshua will be the next leader. What is the importance of publicly declaring and affirming that Joshua will will be the next leader of Israel? Remember, this congregation is not just 20 or 30 people. These 2 million people, they need to understand that as they obeyed Moses in the 40 years of wilderness, they need to also obey the authority of Joshua. Because the authority of Joshua comes from God, not from himself. And that's why pastors who lead churches, they are given the authority of God to lead, to pastor the sheep of the church. Of course, if there are some sins of the pastor or some, some wrongdoings, we need to deal with that. But as long as we know that the pastor is living a godly life and he is divinely ordained by God, we should follow his lead as he follows the Lord. Even the Apostle Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So don't just imitate your pastor or the leaders in the church. Imitate them if they are also imitating or following Christ. Because remember, our ultimate leader is Jesus Christ. And all of us are followers. I am also a follower. You're all followers of Christ. But as I follow Christ, you also follow after me. That's the essence of the authority in the word of God. So, uh, Moses publicly affirmed to, to con- the con- congregation that Joshua will be the next leader. And there's one interesting point here. It says here, Eleazar will ask counsel for Joshua after the judgment of Urim before the Lord. Eleazar is the next high priest. Aaron died already, so, Eleazar will be the high priest. So, there'll be like two branches in the congregation of Israel. The civil civilian leader, Joshua, and also the high priest who was Eliezer. And there's this called Urim. Urim is a piece of clothing. Um, you know, the Catholics, those who are former Catholics, you, you see the Catholic priests, they like, they have this clothing, this long uh, band of clothing around their neck. That's like the Urim in the, from, of the people of Israel. But I don't know why the Catholic priests have that. Uh, what's the purpose? But for the people of Israel, the purpose of that piece of clothing is that that will be a symbol of God's will for his people. While Eliezer, the high priest, will be praying to the Lord, that urine will be like the means by wherein God will talk to his people through the high priest. I don't know how it goes because the Bible did not tell us how but it will be a way of showing and expressing the will of God to God's people. That's the Urim. And then, at this word shall they go out, and at this word they shall come in, in both he and all the children of Israel, even all the congregation. He's talking about the battle again. So the people of Israel will be gathered towards Joshua, and Joshua will lead them in their battles. Just as... In the present day, the pastors are leading the congregation of Christ in their battles, personal battles and corporate battles in the church. And they ought to follow his word because at, this word, at, his, at his word shall they go out. At his word they shall come in. So that means they ought to follow their leaders as long as they know that he is following God himself. And in verse 22, Moses did as the Lord commanded him and he took Joshua, set him before Eliezer the priest and before all the congregation. So this is the public ordination. This is very important, especially for Joshua. You know why? Because this will help him remember that you are not qualified because of your own qualities. But it is God who qualified you. Do you remember that saying, God does not call the qualified, but he qualifies those who are called. You're not called by God because you're a great speaker or you studied in the Bible college. You're called by God because when he calls you, whether you have that skill or talent or you don't have anything else, as long as you willingly follow God, he will give you the qualifications. That's a problem in the world right now, right? In the world, when you go to apply for a job, there are several qualifications, right? You need, for example, if you are in a clerical job, you need to type 40 words per minute. I cannot even type 20 words per minute. How can I pass that kind of job? 40 words or at least 50 words per minute. And then if you are if you want to become a pastor in a church or you feel God's calling for you, the church will say, you need to be trained in the Bible college uh, from this college or university and you need to be like this and so on and so on and so forth. But the Bible did not tell us that our qualifications make us qualified in the ministry. It is God who gives us the qualifications. You know what, is, what are the three most important things or qualities that God desires from His people who are going to serve Him in the ministry, especially in the full-time ministry? I call it FAT. I learned that from the discipleship program. FAT. F-A-T. F means faithful. Will you be faithful and committed? Because even if you know a lot about the Bible, you know all the Greek and the Hebrew languages, But if you're not committed and faithful to the Lord, then you cannot be in the ministry. A, available. If you are expert in anything else, but you are said, I'm not willing, I'm not available, I want to do something else, then you cannot be in the ministry. And lastly, and I think this is very important, one quality I still am struggling on, being teachable. Being teachable. Faithful, available, and teachable. It's hard to be teachable nowadays because the world is telling us, no, treat yourself first. Love yourself first. You should be I-centered and me-centered. And then when someone tells you you need to be corrected, I don't want to be corrected. Because you're proud of yourself. There's always that pride within our hearts that we need to battle against. Pride cometh before any kind of destruction. God doesn't want any pride. If you're a proud leader, God will surely take you down. And you know that many pastors have been taken down by the Lord because of the pride in their hearts. If you're not faithful, you're not available, you're not teachable. Even if you, all, you have all the qualifications on paper, God says, you're not qualified. In his eyes, the only ones who are qualified, just like Joshua, available, faithful, and also teachable. He was willing to be mentored by Moses. So what do we do right now, practically speaking? Three important things that I would like us to remember as we mentor and prepare the next generation. First, seek those people that you're going to mentor. You don't just go about going to one person, I want to mentor you. You pray first, you seek his direction. God, who is someone in my congregation, in my church, that you want me to mentor? You want me to prepare for his or her next stage in life? And then when you find that person, God show you that person, affirm that person, encourage that person. Approach the person, tell that person, I'm here, I'm willing to teach you what I know and learn from my experience because I want you to grow also. I want to invest my life in you so that you can grow in your spiritual walk. Then lastly, equip Give them the resources that they need. Of course, what I've said a while ago, prayer. Tell them, teach them how to pray. Teach them how to study the word of God. Teach them how to minister to people. Equip them. And that's the main responsibility of the pastors. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us pastors and evangelists and teachers are there in order to equip God's people. Equip God's people to give you all the resources that you need. That's why we are here teaching and preaching the word of God. And sometimes that would not be enough. We may need to schedule some times outside our church services all throughout the week in order to teach you and to equip you in the ministry. Remember, all of us are in the ministry. Don't ever say that I'm in this field which is not of a religious setting that you are not in the ministry. Wherever you are in the ministry because remember, the word ministry means service. Wherever you are, wherever there are people, you are serving God through those people. So remember that always. Seek, affirm, and equip the people that you are mentoring. Prepare the next generation. The church is always one generation away from extinction. Imagine if all of us, older guys here and, and women here, will pass on and the next generation of young people strayed away from the Lord. Then there will be no more RBBC. That's why we need to continue to prepare the next generation. Let us pray.